And it's Encounter with God time, guys. Welcome back. We're about to jump into our Bible study. You need something? The Bible. You need a Bible. Yep. Indeed, you I was you just do. like, where is the Bible? It's normally here. Thank you. There you go. Now you have a Bible. Have we, a Bible. Are, okay. <laughs> we have been talking. Oh, it's just an awesome, awesome subject this week, talking about the Christian and work and excellence. And today, of course, we're going to talk about work and spirituality. We are. These two things go hand in hand. But before we do, we've got a couple of, couple of people here. Uh, Owen's called through with uh, some of the some of the characters in the Bible. They need to have their names Australianized. Mm. I think. Mm-hmm. I feel that this is a you know Mahershal Al Hashbaz. We just need to call him Baz. But I do kind of love that his name's in there. I, oh, it's so the best. Good. It's the best. But just call him Baz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you imagine? That's not the answer, by the way. I, no, it's not. Um, could you imagine like Australian version translation of the there Bible? There is one. Is there? Yes. A good one or um, um Yeah, okay. It's a little bit too ocker. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um and it's a little bit dated actually. Oh. So I understand all of the ocker words that are in it, mm-hmm. but Liam would probably come across a bunch of ocker words that he's not heard of because you know, he's in his 20s, I'm in my 40s, and I can remember when a lot of those words were in general use. But then, mm. you know, the English language is a, is a living language oh, and it changes, it changes so much. And so much of our Australian language uh, has been lost. And, you know, my wife, having come to this country from another country, every now and then someone will say a word that was in common usage when I was a kid. Mm you know, as Australian slang, and she'll have no idea what they're saying. And I just respond without even thinking. I haven't heard the word for 30 years, mm-hmm. but I don't have to think about it. I know exactly what they're saying and just, just respond. And, and she's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And like, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really cool word. We need to bring that one back. Uh-huh. What's an example? Oh, I was trying to think of one uh-huh. while I was hearing that and it just wasn't coming to my mind. You know this happened. Yeah, yeah. I think I have this little theory, which could be a little bit wrong, but do you know I – no. do, 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 do you know what a rumen is? A what? A rumen. No. Yeah, see, there you what go. is it? A rumen is a um, – so this is this is a word that was particularly used in Tasmania, but a rumen is a person who who, who is uh, a bit of a larrikin. Nice. Also a good word. Not exactly the same as a larrikin, mm-hmm. but similar. Rumen. A rumen. <laughs> That's so good. See, I think that, at least for my generation, <clears throat> or maybe younger, there's a lot more exposure to things like – American movies or just the social yes. media, the interconnectedness. Yes. I reckon that's also part of the influence. Like I have yes, friends very much so. who have American-ish Australian accents purely because they watch so many movies. <laughs> like, And what's interesting is that when I went to America in 1992, there was a whole bunch of – yeah, Kel Richards wrote the, uh, the Aussie Bible. Um, there was – okay, but when I went there in 1992 – there was a whole bunch of words that I used in Australia that were not used in America. Mm-hmm. You know, even phrases like, um, you know, things like no worries. Yep. They always talked about how Australians always said no worries. Uh-huh. Now it's universal in America. Yeah. Uh-huh. All Americans say no worries. Yeah. And they got that from, got it from Australia. You know what's something I learned? Well, this is again a bit of a theory, that in New Zealand it's all goods. It's not as much no worries. All goods. All goods. Yeah, New Zealand's got some cool words. It's as just well. different, you know. It's got some cool words as well. Yeah, I don't know how I got down this track. We're talking okay, about what Bible. are we? What are we looking at here? Let's. Uh, what, what, so what this verse, is Luke. Bible? This, this is, Luke is about Jesus being born. Two, one to seven. So she wrapped him up in a bunny rug, <laughs> tucked him up in a feed trough in a back shed because the pub was full to bursting. 
you know, you, you read that right there and it's like, yeah, that's very that's Ozified. pretty much, yeah. Kel Richards does go a little bit too far. Okay. Uh, he Ozifies the Bible to the point that it loses a level of respect, in my opinion. Hmm. So this is my opinion. Now, this is not a translation. It is a kind of like a transliteration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into, and he goes just a little bit too ochre. He goes ochre to the point that it's more ochre than ochre Australians. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Gotcha. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It is definitely entertaining to read, but... It, it, it loses, loses it, it loses it loses a bit of respect mm. for God. I feel uh, we need to remember that we are talking about the ruler and creator of the universe, and you know, when we meet heads of state, we whether we whether we like them or not, whether we are a fan or not, we do treat them with the respect that they deserve as being a head of state, mm. and we do speak, I guess, a little bit. A little bit better, mm, little and bit we sh- I think we should remember that when we're talking to God. Mm. Yeah, he is. He is our Father. He is our Dad, mm. and he's also ruler and creator of the universe. Mm. That's something pretty special. It's a pretty interesting um, combination you have there. Really. Yes, it is. You know, it is, and, I- and our best friend at the same time. Because mm. I'm not connected in any way to royalty on Earth. Like I'm just not. No, and I'm sure if I Liam's was, a big fan. you know, <laughs> Liam is a big fan of the Queen. Yes. Um, but if I was in that family, it would, you know, your uncle or auntie or grandma or mum, they're just, they are just family. That's right. You know? So I don't know. It's just an interesting kind of. It is. I'm not exposed to that on a human level. So on a God level, you're like, well, you know. Have you ever met a celebrity? Not really. Head of state? Nah. Never I've definitely seen that. There's probably a couple of like musicians that I'm like, whoa, I think you're amazing. But it's just like that's as far as it's gone. And I think I would – I'm not like a fangirl sort of kid. I'm not like, oh, my goodness, I'm meeting this person. Like, <laughs> I'm not that. <laughs> yeah. But there is a level of like, oh, you're a person. It's- yeah, so how do you think you would respond if you were, you know, you met the Queen? I don't know. Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? I think Liam would die the best way. (laughs) But you would be probably not as much as your ochre self as what you often are. No, but that's also because do you know when I travel, I don't change my accent, but it definitely improves. Not not intentionally. It because just, it has to. It just changes. So yeah. that people can people understand what you. That's right. <laughs> I, I, when I was in America, there were some words that I had to learn to speak in American just mm-hmm. so that they could understand what I was saying mm-hmm. because I got frustrated with other Australians having to translate for me. Mm. Now, there's been enough Australian influence overseas now so that that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But I used to sit in, in the cafeteria and have a conversation and join in the conversation and spill out a whole bunch of words like and Shell, who had just met me, would give me a blank look and say, I have not a not a single idea, any word that he just said, is that even the English language? And one of the other Australians who'd been living there longer would then translate. Amazing, amazing. And it was so frustrating. I'm like, okay, I need to... I don't even understand. Learn how to speak more. It was actually really good for my mm. clarity of speech. Yes, because you have to know what you mean. Yes. Like... In a way to explain to other people. All right. So we have a number of text messages coming through here. Um, 
So many years ago, I fell from a very tall horse while riding. Uh, When I crushed on the ground, I thought I wasn't able to move for a while. By the time I got home, I could hardly move. My wife gave me hydrotherapy. By the next day, I was 99%. Back to my old self. Amazing stuff. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. So um, hydrotherapy is incredibly powerful. Hot and ice cold water. Hot hot towels and ice cold water Hmm. um, was what they used. And, uh, yeah, then there's a, a bunch of different Aussie slang words that somebody's texted through for us, things like bludger, bogan, booze bus. Yeah, there's kind of... Um, All those Aussie Aussie things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Uh, <clears throat> All those cool things. All right. Um, so we are going to head in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 22 to 26, and we're going to be talking about work and spirituality. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. If you could start for us there in verse 22, please, Minnie. Yeah, I'm going to say real quick prayer. Um, Lord God, I just thank you so much we have this chance to open your word. Uh, go before us, open our hearts and minds. Um, God, just give us clarity and wisdom and let us... Um, yeah, take this information into our day uh, that we can know you more. Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 25 in Galatians chapter 5. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Is that what I'm reading? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool, cool. Okay, read that first line again. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. <sighs> Not what you want, is it? You want your version? Yes, I want my version. <laughs> I could tell. It's not going to happen. Let's dig out a real Bible here. Oh, go on then. <laughs> okay. King James would have said it in this kind of way. Tell us. And it would have been very, very respectful. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, particularly in his era. But the fruit of the Spirit... Wait a minute, is that the one we're looking for? 525. Is that what you said? You read 25. I did. You did. Was that what I was meant If to we live in the Spirit, let us also work in the Spirit. Interesting. Or walk in the Spirit. Mm. Okay, so there's two different things here. One is living in the Spirit and then uh, how that actually affects what we do. Yeah, yeah. So it's one thing to be heavenly minded, it's another thing to be of earthly use. <laughs> yep. We often talk about those who are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. Mm. And when we say that, we're talking about the kind of person who is, you know, very focused on their spirituality and very not focused on actually living a real practical life mm. and living practical Christianity. Yeah. And so uh, this is definitely something that um, we need to... Th- there's definitely a connection between these two things. Now, mm. I was, in context of this verse, going to begin in verse 22. Oh, I can do that. Why not? It's a good verse. Verse 22, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Ooh, actually, I like that 
uh, wait, what's that one there? Nailed them to the cross. They've taken their passions and their selfish desires and nailed them to the cross. This is those verses are actually tremendously powerful about the picture of Christian living. Yes. You are not doing that in your own strength. No. You're not. Not going to happen. <laughs> or at least I, as who I am as a person, have never had success doing this of myself. Okay, so when you read that right there, uh, let's look at it. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. These are, these are, good, these are good, good things the Bible's talking about. Oh, absolutely. It does give the impression of somebody, in, in modern language, you know, it gives the impression of somebody who is soft. Mm. Let me highlight a couple of words. Gentleness, goodness, meekness. Are those words yeah, that describe somebody who is soft? I think... And as Christians, should we always be soft? Was Nehemiah... Yeah, dude. Soft. He was hectic. There was one point he was like pulling someone's beard out. That's right. <laughs> I was David it, soft. Have we associated these things with that? Have we? Do you know what I mean? Have have we? Was the Apostle Paul no, soft? No, I don't think so. I would even argue is God soft? Okay. Because these, was are, Jesus, these are all was the Jesus of the Spirit. soft no, man. when he drove the money changers out of the temple. No. But when you read something and you describe, you describe okay, um, as a man, and I'm going to just say this as a man because yep. men tend not to be soft, mm-hmm. um, as a man I read this and I, it, it tells me to be patient, gentle, meek. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like it's telling me to be soft. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like you're. It sounds like how do I explain? It? I read it in the book once. Like the highest um, kind of level that a Christian should get to is to be a nice guy. That's kind of what it sounds like. It does. Which is really not something to aspire to. To just be a nice guy. As in, it's not bad to it's be nice. It's aspire to be a nice guy. Good to aspire yeah, to be a nice but, guy, but not just a nice guy. Yeah, but that's almost just... Someone explained... How did they say it? Someone said, I'm going to get this wrong, but nice stands for something basically like not interested in caring enough or not. It was basically like, I'll invest to be considerate of you, but not enough that it, you know it really changes my life at all. Ooh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just like, I'll be nice about it. Okay. It really... There's no, yeah, it's really no call to change your life. Yeah. Really. All right. So you can see where I'm coming from on those those words, right? Absolutely. And then, okay, is there a flip side to this? Is there, does, does the Bible balance this out by saying, well, you know, you're not all soft. Let's look at the other words there. Uh, The fruit of the spirit is joy, Mm -hmm. peace. Men are not known for being peaceful. Mm. You know, we'll compete over two ants running around in a jar. <laughs> you know what? I've seen that happen. Not that exact situation, but yes, something you're like, why is this a competition? <laughs> <laughs> it's because men will turn any exercise or event or circumstance into a competition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is hardwired into men. It's what men do. Um, okay, but the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Mm. Joy, peace, patience, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Is there anything hard in there? Well, you can't. Okay, so, so is there anything when you when your your initial reaction to those words is there anything masculine about those words that is obviously masculine in the way that we think of you know masculinity today? See, no, but yes, in my head. And I'll That's explain. right, because you're I'll looking at it from a Christian perspective. <laughs> not, you don't I'm count. I'm not. I'm not. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you. Okay, look, it probably is a Christian perspective, but here's why. It is. One of my favourite quotes, I don't actually remember many quotes, but one of my favourite quotes in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, so C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, is the part where they're going to meet Aslan, who is meant to represent kind of Jesus, you know, it's, yes. this whole thing. They're going to meet him. And, and he's a lion. He's a lion. He's not soft. That's right. And the kids, they don't know who he is. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are like, oh, we've got to go find Aslan. He's the only one who can save your brother now because one of them has gone off to meet the witch and yep. that's all a bit hectic. And they have this big whole dialogue and then one of the girls is just like, oh, wait, so lion, is he safe? And I think it's Mr. Beaver's like, safe? Haven't you listened to anything Mrs. Beaver's been saving? He's a lion. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good and he's the king, I tell you. And he goes on to then say all the reasons why he's going to make everything better. It's one of my favourite things. And, you know, we see that picture in the Bible, the Lion of Judah, right? Yes. We also see this picture of God being like, I'm a man of war. However, in this warrior space of God, we also see that he's the great physician. We also see all these things, right? The the great thing about the Lion, you know, the, the Bible t- says that you know no one was found worthy to open the book. And yeah. John says, and I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book. And then one of the angels came and said, and then, look, look, yes. look over here. See, the line of the tribe of Judah has mm. prevailed to open the book. So he looks over and what does he see? A lamb. A lamb that had been slain. Yes. And that to me depicts exactly what the Bible is talking about here. Exactly. Because right? because what you've got here, you might read this through and this is like, well, the whole thing is talking about lamb being lamb-like, not lion-like. But it's not. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so you see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Okay. I, can, I can see how we how we could read it and go, oh, this is all just wussy, pansy-like stuff and, you know. But there's also the other side of, yes, this warrior god. As an example, you have someone who has that, that a heart of a warrior doesn't just fight for the sake of fighting, there's a defending you look at how many That's people right. go to war for peace. How does that make any sense? Right? Yes. Like we know we're in a spiritual warfare and God wants our freedom. Like but one, this- of the, one of the main things about being a male, one of the, the biggest parts of male DNA is that we protect. Mm. And we will fight to protect. And you find that in nature and you find it in humans. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Where are we up we to? Were what were we talking about? We were talking about. So it's to do with males are oh, yes. protecting and. That's right. Mm-hmm. We were. We were here in Galatians and we were asking, okay, the fruits of the spirit, are they soft? Mm. Okay, I want to give a I want to give a different perspective on this passage that I think has been lost in time. Mm. Um and and possibly in the usage of some of these words. So let's begin with the word meekness. Yep. The word meekness, simply because it sounds like weakness, yeah. has often been related to weakness. Mm. And so a meek person has often been seen as being a weak person, but a meek person is actually an incredibly powerful person. The word meek simply means power under control. Oh. You can't be meek without having power. Wow. Could and you, if you have power and you can control that power, yeah, then that's just amazing. That's a really good point. 
Yeah. Because that's somebody that you can seriously respect. That's a person of who has significant power mm. but who knows how to control it. Mm. So, you know, there's a number of examples in the Bible of people that had, you know, lots of power and no self-control. That's right. They'd yeah, just lose the just plot and whenever it. they lost the plot, you know, people would die and they would think that they were powerful because people were dying and blood was being shed and that, you know, they could influence other people because they were violent. You know what? I actually heard a very similar explanation to this about being peaceful, being a peaceful person. They said if you have the power to do harm and you don't, you're you're choosing peace. That's right. If you couldn't do anything anyway, well, you're harmless. That's right. You're harmless. Yeah. <laughs> and I <laughs> never thought peace. about it like you're that. You're not peaceful. Yeah. You're harmless. Yeah, you're harmless. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know whether you are peaceful or not until you have power. Yeah. Ooh, that's this is an interesting explanation. So if you look at the Bible and you look at some of the people in the Bible who are described as being meek, mm. let's talk about Moses. He's described as being meek. He's described as being the meekest man that ever lived. Mm. And yet Moses was not afraid to go to war mm. against the Amalekites. And to be involved in that war and to have and to see the Amalekites soundly defeated on the battlefield, mm-hmm. he was not afraid to prepare for war with the invasion of Palestine. Uh, Moses was not afraid of any of this stuff. Moses was not afraid to walk in in front of Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let his entire slaves. All of his slaves just go. I think he was a little bit afraid, at least at the start. Yeah, he was. Okay, but he still did it. That's right. Mm. He overcame his yes. fears through the power of God, mm. and that shows a tremendous amount of courage. Courage is courage is not being fearless. Mm. It's not letting it control you. It's not letting fear control you. Mm. Because if you don't have fear, if you are actually fearless, you don't have courage. <laughs> It's reckless. You're reckless. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You're just like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. It's not taking courage. Risk. Yeah. Courage is when you step out and do something that you are actually terrified to do, something that you really, mm. really every fibre of your being doesn't want you to do. That's courage. Yeah. And what Moses had was courage and what Moses had was meekness. Because God offers him almost unlimited power at times. He's like, yeah, I'm going to wipe out this entire nation and I'll make of you a great nation. Mm-hmm. Moses, in that moment, he has the power to say, okay. But because he has power under control, he's like, no, nah, God, don't go there. Don't do that. If you're going to go there, you're going to have to wipe me out as well. Mm. Kind of Which is a really ransom. big call. That's a massive Actually. call. It's a massive call because he was saying, you know, blot me out of your book. Yeah. Like when we read that, that's actually quite flat on the page. Like it's intense, but it's still flat on the page. To actually be making that call to against, against the creator of the universe, not against, but, you know, yeah. Like you said, he's not twisting God's arm, but he's kind of like, look, here's uh-huh. the deal. Uh-huh. Which <laughs> you've got to be pretty confident in what you're – coming to the table with or not yes, to be like this matters enough to still come. That's right. Mm. Okay, I think the story of Moses is a great, a, a great example of this because, you know, he was somebody who was, the Bible says he long-suffering. Mm. Yeah. Your translation would say patient. <laughs> patient, yeah. Yes, patient. <laughs> uh, was Moses patient? 
Well, he was probably the meekest man. He was probably the most patient man that ever lived as well. Yeah. Couldn't have been a fun time. Not at all. And patience, these are everything that is here. Being a peacemaker means that you have power to make war. Mm-hmm. Yes. It means you have power to be violent. You have the opportunity to be violent. But you don't. Uh, if you don't have that opportunity, as, befo- as you said before, you just, you're just weak. Mm. You're powerless. Mm. Um, being patient, wow, that's just like the epitome of strength right there. Mm. Um, well, you can't really practice patience unless you have been in circumstances which you maybe really don't want to be patient in. That's right. And then meekness is power under control. Mm. Uh, you can't have meekness unless you are powerful. Yeah. And then you've got this one called temperance. What does yours say for temperance? What's a modern translation for Self-control? Temperance? Self-control. Is that what we're talking yeah. about? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, is, there, is there anything that takes more courage than self-control? Ah, for me that's one of the hardest. That is, right there. Easily, in all avenues of life, right? Because I can be great in this one thing. What about these other things? Indeed, mm. indeed, and you've got lots of examples of people who have no self-control. Yeah, and you know, let me pull out a, an example from history. Let's talk about Alexander the Great. Mm. All right, so let's work our way through the list. Fruit of the spirit. Did he have peace? No, no. Uh, was he patient? He was the complete opposite of patient. <laughs> uh, was he gentle? Not in the, in the least. Was he meek? Did he keep his power under control? Not at all. Uh, was he temperate? <laughs> no. Nah. There is a reason why Alexander the Great did not live past the age of 33. Mm. And what God is giving you here is a way of being powerful, being strong, mm. uh, and for men being incredibly masculine and receiving the blessings of a long and fruitful life at the same time. Mm. This is so good. I'm so glad you brought out this this side of these verses. Because I think you're right. It's a message we often miss. We miss it in that we miss it and because it of the modern it. language that we yes. use. These are verses that speak about strength, not weakness. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Now it's time for... Question of the Day. Okay, so a listener has uh, messages... A thing that says, yep, I agree with your views and beliefs, but every time I try to tell a Catholic of my beliefs, so this is to do with communion, I get stuck with John chapter 6 verse 54 that talks about real flesh and blood. Any help? Um, Yeah, that's kind of the main question. Okay, so John chapter 6 verse uh, 54, the Bible says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Um, in fact, verse 53 is very important. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, of course, a Roman Catholic will take this very, very seriously and very, very literally and say that, okay, when we have the uh, communion service, the Eucharist, when we eat, uh, eat the bread and drink the wine, we're actually drinking the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, mm. that God is actually literally present in those particular emblems. Now, there's a bunch of inconsistencies with this, and I'll start by pointing one of them out. Jesus in the Bible speaks about himself as, you know, speaks about the bread and the wine as mm. being himself. He also says that the door is himself. Yeah. We don't worship doors. Yeah. Uh, he says that the vine is himself. 
we don't worship vines. He says that the light is himself. We don't worship the light. He says that, you know, you are the salt of the earth, and in doing so, we are like Jesus. We don't go worshiping salt. So why do we not worship all of those other ones, and yet we do worship the bread and the wine? Um, and so that's entirely it's entirely consistent for Jesus to use metaphors about himself. It's entirely inconsistent with the entire Bible for those metaphors to be actually taken literally. Yeah. It, you know, and we could list off a whole bunch of others. Um, all of them are taken as metaphors, except for this one. Now, the reason that this one is not taken as a metaphor, of course, is because um, in the religion of Mithra, uh, which was popular in Rome at the time of the rise of Christianity, and in many of the ancient pagan cultures around the world, and I mean this is one of these universal things you find on just about any pagan religion there is, a part of that religion is eating the god. You take the power of the god into yourself by eating a part of the god. Hectic. And so that was just transferred across into Christianity from paganism. However, let's look at a couple of other things here. Uh, if you read what the Bible says in the book of Luke, it says, uh, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Notice there that the new covenant is not the blood. It's the cup. Mm. If you're going to take it literally, now we all know it's the blood because of what the everything else that the Bible says. But if you're going to be, if you're going to take it literally, you have to be consistent, right? Yeah, right. Which means that it is the cup you're going to have to eat the cup because mm -hmm. the Bible says it's the cup. Mm -hmm. If you take it as a metaphor and say no, it's the blood, you know, it's, it's the wine that's in the cup then it's become a metaphor already and you can't take it literally. And if you can't take it literally, it can't be the body and blood of Christ. So there's some interesting inconsistencies here. The other thing that's interesting is that Jesus gives the communion service. He says, this is my body and this is my blood while he's sitting there in front of his disciples. Mm. He is not omnipresent. Yeah, He has become a human being. He has laid aside all aspects of omnipresence. There's none whatsoever at all. And so because he is not omnipresent, it is impossible that it could be, that it could be his blood and his body there Literally. on that particular mm. night. Okay, so does the Bible give us justification for taking this as a metaphor? The Bible actually demands it. I'll show you it in two places. First of all, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That's present tense. Mm. And the next line is, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's future tense. Mm. You can't have a resurrection and eternal life at the same time. Death must take place before a resurrection can happen. Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Then the Bible says that the disciples struggled to understand what he was saying, and so he comes back and explains himself. Mm. Okay, So read the whole passage. He explains himself in verse 63. He says, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh, in other words, my literal body, profits nothing. Hmm. The flesh profits nothing. And this is where I have a problem with uh, our Roman Catholic friends. Uh, they ignore the fact that the Bible says that the flesh profits nothing, and they say, no, 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 it profits everything. Well, that's what the Bible says. I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible, uh, but we need to move on. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.